podcast talking all things health technology and NHS IT. Welcome to Digital Health Unplugged. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Digital Health Unplugged, brought to you in partnership with Restore Digital. I'm your host, Jordan Soloff, news reporter at Digital Health. And in this episode, we're going to be focusing on Restore Digital's investment in the DCB 0129 standards and why it's vital to ensure clinical safety. So to tell us all about that, I'm delighted to be joined by Ted Reynolds, Head of Healthcare at Restore Digital. Ted, uh, thank you very much for taking time to come on the podcast. How are you, first of all? Jordan, thank you very much. Good morning. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, very well indeed. I'm looking forward to, uh, to talking about this. So am I. Brilliant. Um, first of all, could you just introduce yourself a little bit? Tell me and our listeners kind of a bit more about yourself and uh, your experience in healthcare. Right. Well, um, strangely, I'm a graduate chemist from many, many years ago, but I've been working in the records management industry for about 30 years. Last 20 years or so focused upon the healthcare sector and initially starting with physical records and information management. More recently than that, I've been involved in the deployment and implementation of large-scale EDRMS projects to health boards and trusts um, across Wales and England. Um, But I've now come to Restore Digital, I've been here for about two years now, um, where I'm looking to take the business from its transactional scanning base, where it's traditionally been, um, into areas within the NHS which add more value both to the client and, of course, to to Restore Digital. Brilliant. And for those who may not be aware listening, could you expand a little bit on on who or what Restore Digital is and kind of its role within healthcare? Yes, I mean, Restore Digital um, is the leading digitisation company uh, in the UK. Uh, It's part of the records and information management uh, sector of Restore PLC. Um, And as a PLC, we provide a continuum of services uh, in information and records management, starting with physical storage, then going through to digitization, digital transformation, uh, destruction of assets. Um, But we also provide services around things like uh, tech. So where you have a tech requirement for uh, upgrading and destroying old kit, um, that's something which Restore can do as well. Um, We work with about 80% of the NHS trusts in the UK and we're handling around a quarter of a million patient records each month. And we work right across the healthcare spectrum. So that's from GP practices uh, through the acute community and mental health space, as well as into the private providers. Um, And we specialise in helping the NHS and private organisations achieve the transformation objectives. Um, This can be from projects such as scanning and capturing back office records because don't forget the health service is a lot of paper which is non-clinical so we're working with trusts to implement enterprise-wide document management systems and EPRs uh, to house and surface tens of thousands of patient records and our approach is 
not only to be a vendor of transactional scanning, but a provider of bespoke solutions uh, which add value, uh, for example, classification, automation, processing of forms, for example, or data extraction, allowing data to be converted uh, to usable information uh, to promote knowledge. Um, so to sum it up, uh, we help take patient data and make it accessible to ensure better outcomes for those patients or a different way of putting it. Um, we take data, we make it into information so clinicians have knowledge and can deliver better patient outcomes. Brilliant. Um, you've announced that you're kind of one of the very small number of suppliers who can say that they're working to the DCB0129 standard. I hope I'm saying that right, by the way. Um, yeah, yes. Could you expand kind of what is that standard and, and why is it so kind of crucial? Um, I think we're one of the only companies in our class, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a second, uh, that can say we work to this standard. Um, DCB 0129 uh, was first introduced in the 2012 Health and Social Care Act. It's intended to provide governance and oversight to suppliers providing clinical systems to the NHS to ensure that they develop those systems in a way which minimizes the potential for patient harm. Um, it's a self-certifying standard uh, where health IT providers must document possible clinical risk when using the software or device. Clinical risks are defined as those that relate to patient safety as distinct to other types of risk. Um, as the NHS continues its digital transformation and adopts new technology at pace, the standard uh, is now more important than ever. Um, health, like aviation, is a sector where everyone is quite correctly risk averse um, and compliance to the standard is part of that pre-flight check, if you like, to make sure the system is fit for purpose. Um, working to DCB 0129 isn't just about meeting the higher compliance threshold. It's not a tick in the box. It's about demonstrating that Restore as a, a responsible company are taking a responsible approach to collecting and processing patient information. Um, benefits of working to the standard are very, very straightforward. As we say, it minimizes the potential for patient harm. Nothing can eliminate that completely, but you've got to minimize it. It encourages more collaborative uh, approach to working with NHS uh, IT organisations. We can have more meaningful conversations because we're divulging information that previously we weren't even talking to them about. Um, and that leads to innovation and to better outcomes. And there's more transparency um, about recognising those potential risks and, and, and how we're eliminating them. And, you know, I think it, it, it's fine, people's eyes can glaze over when you talk about standards. Um, and it's not viewed as a sexy part of digital transformation. Um, but the digitization of patient records in the final analysis um, is a game changer. Um, it gives clinicians, as I've said before, that insight at their fingertips, uh, which means they can achieve better patient flow, they can get better outcomes, um, and you know, hopefully shorter waiting lists. Um, and health data can be life-changing, um, life-saving perhaps, um, but it must be of the highest possible quality. It must be handled responsibly and processed accurately, which is why we've gone down this route with this particular standard. Absolutely, thanks. Um, and can you mention that you work, the work into the standard involves work into a clinical risk management process. What does that involve exactly? 
Um, much of this goes back many, many years. Uh, and I remember looking at this when I was um, a practicing chemist and a scientist. Um, it's got its roots in uh, good manufacturing practice, GMP, um, which you can look at as being the forerunners to uh, ASTM, American Standard Test Methods, British Standards and ISO Standards. Um, and there's also links to uh, older codes of practice such as GCP, good clinical practice and good laboratory practice. So essentially what it comes down to is this. M manufacturers must define and document a clinical risk management process. Within this, there are four main functions, including follow-up activities. And those activities come down to risk analysis, which includes scoping of risks, clinical hazard identification, and risk estimation. Uh, risk evaluation, which is a detailed documented evaluation of each particular risk. Risk control, uh, identification of the, the, the control options, the mitigations uh, and the risk reward benefit analysis um, and control measures, um, which must be implemented um, for a complete evaluation. And finally, post-deployment monitoring. Um, checking that you've done what you said you've done, how things have changed, and uh, it's a continuous assessment and improvement process. And what kind of clinical risks could there be kind of without working to this standard? That's a that's a very interesting question, and 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 you uh, you know one has to answer that very carefully because what you don't want to do is to be um, somebody who spreads alarm or concern. Um, electronic document management systems are software applications that enable the creation, storage, and retrieval and management of electronic documents, medical records, prescriptions, test results, and images. But their code, uh, written by people and with the best will in the world they may contain code that doesn't always behave as it's supposed to. Um, so EDMSs can help healthcare organisations improve the quality and efficiency of care by providing the information in a timely and accurate fashion. Um, but what this is about is reducing errors, inconsistencies and duplication and making sure that there's a coordinated approach to the continuity of care. EDMS is post-clinical safety risks that need to be identified, assessed and mitigated. Clinical safety risks are defined as the potential for unintended harm to patients arising from the use of health IT systems. So that can be typically incorrect patient identification, um, similar names or similar identifiers or where there are data entry uh, issues which cause data corruption uh, leading to mismatching or mislabeling of patient records. Um, it can be around in, uh, incorrect data input or output, where data is entered incorrectly or incompletely, or where it's displayed incorrectly or incompletely. Um, so that can be anything from missing test results um, that have been delivered by a pathology system digitally and it's, some data has been lost, uh, or perhaps in the scanning world where a post-it note has been left over some critical patient information. And it's also that where there's a lack of access or availability to data, uh, so where it's not stored or backed up or where it's not properly indexed. Um, so the whole system um, here is about looking at what those risks are and working to ensure that they're minimised. Could you expand on the uh, kind of journey that Restore Digital has undertaken to kind of work to this standards? 
Well, officially, we've been able to say we've been working to the standard for the past month or so, but in reality, it's something that we've been doing for a number of years. Um, if you look at our accreditations, uh, DSP toolkit compliance, information security management systems, quality management systems, um, business continuity and disaster recovery policies, British standard 1008 uh, in terms of legal admissibility of documents, scan documents, as a leading uh, provider of scanning services to the NHS, it's exactly what you'd expect. That's a big responsibility and one that we have taken uh, incredibly serious as a business. Uh, and, and even though uh, we have all the accreditations that are mandatory, we didn't think that's where this commitment should end. That's why we went to look at DCB 0129. Um, and our aim was to be able to self-certify within seven months. We did it in five months um, under expert guidance from an external clinical safety officer. So we were able to achieve this ahead of deadline. Um, and again, it's you know part of that commitment or demonstration um, to the level of commitment we have to this business and, and, and patient safety. And um, the standard isn't currently a, a mandatory requirement for IT suppliers providing services such as Restore Digital. Do you think it should be? Again, that's a very interesting question. If you look at the introduction of something such as the Digital Technology Assessment Criteria, DTAC, um, which has become more widely used in the past two years, that's a move that takes us one step closer to DCB 0129 being mandatory. Um, and I think that's likely the direction of travel that it will take in the future. I referenced earlier on in the conversation when I spoke about our class of uh, organisation. Um, we are not a, a monolithic EDRMS provider. We are a digitizer, and we have a system, we have a piece of software um, that can be tailored to work in a specific environment. And I think we can talk about that in a minute. So from our point of view, whilst DCB0129 is not necessarily mandatory, it's something that we feel we can demonstrate commitment to our customers with by working towards. Um, and look, you know, let's be honest about it. If we can do something to improve our products and services, we should. If that improvement contributes to reducing the potential for patient harm, we have a professional and ethical duty to do it. For us as a business, it was a no-brainer. It helps us future-proof our customer relations as well. The complete transparency. Uh, we become, you know, hopefully embedded in 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 their processes we we become the trusted advisor and can work with them um almost on a a less commercial more collegiative um approach um and i think and i know everybody in restore thinks it's a responsible and ethical approach to take um the data we handle uh, is incredibly sensitive and valuable to the nhs in helping clinicians and ultimately helping patients Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, Restore Digital has gained accreditation to DCB0129 for EDM online, um, but surely this isn't going to challenge the established market leaders in the EDRMS market, is it? You're perfectly correct. Um, it, it's not, and it was never intended to. EDM online um, has a niche in the market, which is serving trusts with 
legacy libraries who want to move to an EPR. It has the pedigree to act as a clinical repository, but comes without the price tag or the footprint of a large monolithic EDRMS. Um, it avoids duplicating the functionality that you may find in those large EDRMSs, which also appears um, in the EPRs, e-forms, workflows, integrations, all of which cost more. So the objective is that we want to fill that gap at the bottom of that market, but with a product which has got the same um, pedigree as those large uh, EGRMS uh, providers who are looking at the, the top end of the market. And um, you've mentioned kind of the importance of the value of patient data. I believe you've kind of recently talked about it in terms of its population health management benefits in an article for us for digital health. Um, could you kind of tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, happily. Previously, the digitization of paper-based patient records was driven by the goal to make the NHS paper-free. And I remember when this was mooted 10, 15 years ago uh, through various different health secretaries, the National Programme for IT, for example, going back many, many years. Um, but now the practice is about the creation of a more efficient a more compliant paper light system. I think that's been recognised. Um, where patient insight can flow more freely um, through a health ecosystem and, in, and, and improve outcomes. Um, as more patient data gets into the NHS, there's the opportunity for greater insight to be gleaned. But there's where there's benefit, there's also potential risk um, in how that data is collected and managed. Um, I think in years to come, we'll have an incredibly rich source of health data that could help us better manage conditions. Um, and, and with it is a potential for prevention rather than cure for management over crisis intervention. Um, so this data will become a source of insight that will be the backbone of most NHS strategies. That got me thinking. If future data holds such potential, what secrets could the thousands of yet to be digitized patient records unlock? Um, and that's what I talk about in my article for digital health. Um, the value of this data is something I also think should be reflected in the tendering process. And you know, this may be considered contra controversial, but typically when you're bidding um, for this kind of digitization contract, 60% of the marks awarded um, relate to price and possibly only 40% for quality. I think there is potentially a case here for looking at a solution in terms of its wider return on investment and not just simply as a commodity. Um, of course, cost is critical. Uh, the NHS needs to balance budgets and get the best value, but perhaps that needs to be reviewed and the qualifying measurements reconsidered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you said to kind of work into the DCBL 129 standard is a collaborative process with the NHS. Could you kind of go into a bit more detail about that collaboration? Yes, I mean, we touched upon it a little earlier, but clinical risk management is the process of identifying, assessing and mitigating risks associated with health IT systems. Whenever you're talking about this kind of thing, you have to be transparent. Um, you cannot draw a veil over things. Um, so collaboration is 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 essential um, to gain that trust, which allows you to divulge that uh, information. Um, DCBO one two nine works hand in hand with another 
um, NHS um, clinical safety standard, which is BCB 060. Uh, it's the corresponding um, standard for health uh, organisations deploying IT. So you have to have a meeting of minds, you have to have an exchange of information, which allows what we've done to be considered in light of what's being done in the trusts um, and for iterative changes to be made to both systems if needed and documented so that people know what's happened. Um, it, it's a way of maturing that relationship between ourselves um, uh, who are health tech providers um, and the users of tech in, 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 in the NHS. Um, and the response we've had from customers so far has been extremely positive on this. Final question from me then, the time flies as we head towards the end of what's been a really good episode. What's kind of next looking forward for both the NHS in terms of digitisation and also for Restore Digital? Again, Jordan, that's a good question. Um, and I've been around in this industry, as I say, for nearly 30 years, and I see massive changes, um, but I haven't seen a, a pace of change as rapid as we're going through at the moment. There's many accelerators around it. Um, looking forward, I think by the end of 2024, the last of the paper-based trusts will be either digitized or will be well on their way to that goal. With this uh, and with the functionality that the EPRs and EDRMSs provide, uh, data will be more of an asset. Um, and therefore, there's a great requirement then to be able to leverage that asset using AI. Um, but that means data quality has to be good uh, and there has to be governance. Um, I, you know, I go down this continuum and, and I think this is where we're going. Uh, you have data you have information but what you're seeking and what you can get out of it using this kind of approach is knowledge there, there are going to be challenges with, without a doubt um, and those will be around things like closed EPL systems um, and for less digitally mature organizations um, they're going to find challenges as they're required to integrate into the ICS's ecosystems um, and that's going to mean a lot of change probably a lot of expense to be perfectly honest but for those which are digitally mature um, and with developed data strategies they'll be able to drive greater innovation and uh, get more out of that legacy data uh, and i think that's very very clear that's happening already um, as for what's next for restore digital we're involved in some pretty interesting and innovative projects, some of which uh, we've shared here. The perception was, interestingly enough, I think when I came to this business, that Restore Digital was just a scanner of documents. Um, we are the market leader in that sector, uh, but we're being recognized as being much more than that now in terms of the approach that we've taken. I, and I hope that answers your question. It absolutely does, and um, it sadly comes in the episode, but yeah, really interesting to hear about kind of what Restore Digital are doing. And yeah, as we know, the NHS is digitising and it's only heading one way, isn't it? So interesting to see kind of what the future holds in that sense. And um, yeah, all I can say is thank you very much, Ted, for taking the time to join me on this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I did, John. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for listening. This episode, of course, was brought to you in partnership with Restore Digital. We're available to listen back to on all your usual major audio podcasting platforms. 
and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode until then take care Thank you for listening to Digital Health Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favourite podcast platform. And to find out about our latest news and events, head to our website, digitalhealth.net.